Hello, hello. This is Cody Garrett Lawrence Judge, and today I will be talking about the infamous Chuck Berry and Little Richie. So today we're gonna start off with Little Richie. Okay. So Little Richie, he was known for his flamboyant performances and his hit songs in the mid 1950s were defining moments in the development of rock and roll and basically allowed very vibrant expressions of oneself. Little Richie helped define the rock and roll in the, in the early um, 1950s. He was a driving flamboyant noise and sound. He made coos, wails, and screams. He tuned songs like, you know, Tutti Fruity, Long Tail Sally, into huge hit that influenced, you know, an infamous man, you know, the Beatles. His real name is actually Richard Wayne Perman. Was born on December 5th, 1932, in Georgia. He was a third child of 12. His father, Bud, was a stern man who liked, <laughs> who made a living off stealing moonshine. Well, okay then. He didn't do much to hide his dismay for his son's early years, especially since he showed um, early signs of homosexuality, which means he was gay. That fits along with that flamboyant nature, which is nothing wrong with that. That's due to him. It's great. So, at the age of 13, he was sadly ordered to move out of his family home, and his, his relationship with his father was destroyed after that. When he was 19, his father actually was shot dead outside of a local bar, which is traumatizing enough, but I understand that the relationship wasn't the best. He, um, he actually spent a lot of his childhood in, a tr- in the church, you know, with his re- in religion and stuff like that. Two of his uncles, as well as his grandfather, were preachers. He was involved in the church as much as anyone else. They didn't, I'm not sure if they noticed this homosexuality or didn't mind because he had such a strong faith. He sang gospel and he actually learned piano. He played it for them for a very long time. And that's how he learned how to play piano. So since when he was kicked out of his family's home, he needed somewhere to go. He was actually taken in by a white family who owned a club. Eventually he started you know, performing for them, performing at the club, you know, actually nurturing his skills and his talents. So, that's his early years. Now let's move on to Chuck Berry, the, the man who invented rock and roll. Okay. So, uh, one second. Come here, where's my notes? Here we are. Okay, perfect. Sorry about that. Chuck Berry is one of the most influential rock and roll performers in music history. Many, we all know his songs. We all heard Maybelline, Johnny Be Good. The funny thing is, I, I, I've heard him before from a movie called Back to the Future, when he was actually referenced when uh, Marty was playing at the school dance as his parents were dancing. A, um, one of the performers who broke his hand starts calling a cousin. And when he calls, he references the name. You know, hey, this is your, bro- hey, this is your cousin, Marvin Berry. Which is a reference to Chuck Berry. He's like, this is the sound you're looking for. The song he was playing was Johnny Be Good. So, Back to the Future actually referenced him, and that's how I've heard of him before. So I've known his song since I was a little kid. But anyways, back to who he is. He is actually considered the, f- the father of rock and roll. His early exposure to music at school and church shaped him into who he was. The, the funny thing was, actually, when he, when he was a teenager, he was sent to prison for armed robbery. So basically... 
him and his friends found a gun. It was a broken gun, and they stopped the vehicle and basically took it. What he says is, is that they didn't technically steal, that they were borrowing since their um, car broke down and the gun didn't work. Well, in that time period, no one cares about the excuse. If you're not who they want you to be, you're, you're sadly going to be in a bad position. So, actually, you know, the, the song is referenced Johnny Be Good. It was his first number one hit, but later on in 1972, of course, not too early on. And he also played a song, My Ding-a-Linga. <laughs> uh, that's had some bad connotations to it. Where hit with his clever lyrics and distinct sound, Barry became one of the most influential figures in rock history, actually. He helped shape, he helped break the, the gateway to it. He, a famous quote from him, actually, this is by Chuck Berry, of course. One of his famous quotes is, I made, I made records for people who would buy them. No color, no ethnicity, no political. I don't want that. Never did. What this basically means, he just made music for people to enjoy. He didn't care who you look like, what you look like, whatever. And he didn't put any of his um, opinions on it. He didn't care who you were. He didn't care what political party you were, what ethnicity. He just wanted you to enjoy the music. And the music was never about what you look like. It's just about expressing and then the emotion of it. So, back on to his early years. He was actually born, he was born in you know, October 18th, 1926. His name is Charles Edward Anderson Berry. Which, yeah, it makes sense. He's shortened it a little easier to say. Rolls off the tongue a little easier. His parents, Martha and Henry Berry, were the grandchildren of, ins- actually, of people who were slaves. Sadly. He was actually, um, his family was actually among, uh, among the many African Americans that migrated from the rural south to Louisiana in search of employment during the World War I era. Martha was one of the few, she's, his mother, Martha, Martha <laughs> was one of the few um, women to actually go to college, gain an education, and while his father worked as a um, clockmaker and a carpenter, he um, he was also a deacon at the Baptist church. So he had ties to you know music from through church through gospel, you know. Well, when he was born, this where he lived in St. Louis was actually a very segregated city. He grew up in the northern end. He called the villa a self-contained, middle-class black community that was a haven for black-owned business and institutions. That's how his father could run his clock shop and carpentry, and how his mother could uh, use her degree. Because sadly, in that time, people wouldn't accept someone for the color. So, it's really funny, a really funny story you told. He's actually, was since it was so segregated and so heavily, like, apart from each other... He never saw a white person until the age of three. And when he saw him, it was actually, you know, a white fireman who came out to put out a fire. He thought when he saw him that they were so scared of the fire that they their skin had whitened. So that he thought they, he thought they were so scared that they turned white, which is very funny and interesting in a way. And it kind of shows you the innocence of a, a child's mind, how they don't see color for a race. They see it as, they see it and they don't know. They just don't know. There's no negative connotation to it. Yeah, he was the four of the six children. He had very he had many many interests as a kid. He enjoyed doing carpentry with his father. He learned photography with his uncle, who was obvious. His name was Henry Davis. He was a professional photographer. Barry also showed an early talent for music and being seen in church and choir, like I mentioned at the age of six, which is amazing. I can't sing to save my life. He attended a school called Summer High School, a prestigious private institute for the first all-black high school west of Mississippi. 
for those students annual talent show, you guess what he did? He sang the blues by Jay Mashon Confession while accompanied by a friend on the guitar. Although the school administrator, you know, you know, didn't view the, the song with the same joy or same passion as he did, they thought it was a little, you know, bad for the time, but it is what it is. Actually, it, the thing was, the audience loves it. It was a hit with the student body. It sparked interest in his, it made him spark interest in learning guitar himself. He started guitar lessons soon after. He studied at a local jazz. He studied with the local jazzlin, Earl Harris. He he kind of grew into a, gro- a troublemaker in high school. You know, he was uninterested in his studies. He felt constrained by the strict you know curriculum and the dress code and the discipline and all that. So in 1944, at the age of 17, Barry and his two friends, you know, they dropped out of high school, set off on an impromptu road trip. This is where I mentioned the robbing a car thing, but in more detail. They came across Crystal in a banning parking lot. Seized by a terrible fit of youth and misjudgment, they decided to go on a robbing spree. This is what the article says, but I heard this from a different source, so I, I can't tell you which one's true or not. So supposedly through this article that they robbed a bakery, a clothing store, a barbershop, and stole a car before the rest before they got arrested on the highway by a policeman. But we all know at this time the police weren't fair. So we don't know the legitimacy of this. You know, he received a minimal, you know, penalty. Ten years. Yeah, minimal. Yeah, sure. Despite them being minors and first-time offenders. So we can kind of see possible, you know, possible racism that happened back then. If The thing is, that could have never happened. It, easily a policeman could have done something negative or have a... Just, it could have been faked and he could have been innocent. Or he did it. But still, he was a minor. He was young, stupid, and it is what it is. He served three years in a reformatory for young men outside of Jefferson, Mississippi. Oh, that's pretty close to where Little Richie was. Wow. On his 21st birthday, he returned to his home, you know, St. Louis, where he worked with his father on construction business, part-time as a photographer, and as a janitor at a local auto plant. So, he had plenty of time to, to sing and do whatever he wants as he's working. In 1948, Barry married, uh... Tari Suggs, um, Tari Suggs? I don't know how to pronounce his name, I sadly do not know. They had four children. He took up the guitar again when he was in, you know, 1951, a little after the, you know, introduction of rock and roll. It was, it was actually with his former high school classmate, Tommy Stevens, invited him to join his band. They played at a local Black Knight Cubs in St. Louis, barely quickly developed reputation for his lively showmanship. And at the end of 1952, he met Johnny Johnson a local jazz pianist and joined his band and <laughs> Sir John Trio which you can kind of guess where the John came from they actually introduced an upbeat country number into the band's repertoire of jazz and pop they played this really interesting style at an upscale black club in East, L- in East St. Louis which actually started beginning to attract white patrons so the thing is this music can bring people together so, for instance, with Little Richie. Little Richie, okay, so Little Richie started playing a chorus. He had his very first major break at a performance at a Lancer radio station. Yield, and he yielded a contract with RCA. But with a... But mostly with his mainly, you know, blues numbers. And he masked the searing vocals and the piano that would come off to fine rock and roll. So his sound and how he played 
shaped rock and roll and shaped people who listened to it, like the Beatles and anyone who listened else to the Beatles and the other musicians around him. You know, he had commercial success in 1955. He actually was hooked up with a specialty record producer, Art Rupel, who had been hunting for a uh, you know someone who plays piano and his frontman to lead the group of musicians in New Orleans. And that's that September, Richard stepped into the recording studio and pumped out Tutti Fruity, an instant Billboard hit that reached number 17. He was a black artist at that point. That. That song he made reached everyone. It reached white, black, Mexican, you know, any uh, any other race, every race that was, everyone who enjoyed music, everyone who had ears who could hear music or even feel music if they were deaf in that case, could simply enjoy it. They didn't matter who who he didn't matter who he played to. He just enjoyed playing. He actually made many more hits, you know, like Long Tail Sally, Good Lily Miss, Good Gooly Miss Molly, Send Me Some Lovin'. You know, he he played the piano with like a blood pumping fury, and we'll admit suggestive lyrics. You know, so he was kind of pushing the envelope like Elvis did with the hip thrusting and the tone. You know, well, him, his music helped define um, rock and roll as a real music form. It actually took it from underground up into this professional platform where others can listen to it and be inspired by it. And he even inspired the Beatles, like I said earlier. So, that's how he helped break that surface and actually break the walls down to reach white audiences or all audience and all. He appeared in many, many films, early rock films, which obviously got his name out there, got people looking at him. So yeah, unfortunately, he died on May 9th, 2020, in Nashville, Tennessee from bone cancer. So now let's go back to to Chuck Berry. So the birth of rock and roll was, you know, obviously in the mid, you know, 1950s. Berry actually started taking road trips to Chicago, um, you know, the Midwest capital of black music, and searched for a record contract, like all musicians who wanted to make it did. And in early 1955, he met a legendary bluesman, Muddy Waters, who suggested that Berry go meet. With the chess records, with chess records. A few weeks later, Barry wrote and recorded a song called Maybelline, which I think we actually listened to in class or in our um, some of our assignments from this class. I'll double check on that and I'll get back to that. And it, and it took him to the executives of chess. They immediately offered him a contract within months, and then Maybelline had reached number one on the RB charts and number five on the pop charts, which is amazing, which also had the exact same reach. If, as you know, um, Little Richie. They both reach these audiences. So his style was a unique blender of rhythm and blues with some country guitar licks and you know a flavor of Chicago blues. He narrate so basically he's also would narrate stories, and he had this this flavor that made it's a true rock and roll song. It's a true example of rock and roll if you could call it that. He, after that, obviously, he followed with many unique signals that continued to carve out a new genre of rock and roll. So, some people call, you know, um, Little Richie the founder, and they call and they call the founder of rock and roll, and they call Chuck Berry the father. So, obviously, Little Richie laid the foundation. He got the thing. He got it pushed through the surface. He got it into this public eye, while, while um, Chuck Berry actually defined it more and more, and so he became the dad. Well. He became the father of it, so he actually 
had all these, you know, influenced all these other people to follow in a similar path as him, although Richie made the platform possible for him to even stand upon. So he had many, many, you know, unique singles that carved out new genre rock and roll. You know, roll over Beethoven, too many monkey, too, too much monkey business, a brown-eyed handsome man, among others, of course. Barry managed to achieve cross appeal with white youth without alienating himself from black fans by mixing blues and R&B sounds with storytelling that told a universal theme of youth. So he's able to see the trend and connect to the youth and also keep the flavor of both. So they both would like it, but also would introduce both into a new flavor of music or new style of music. So now the white audience, white youth, was seeing the blues and R&B sounds, which could attract them to other artists, other African-American artists and different sounds, and vice versa. So this actually could, this introduced more music to everyone. This allowed them to feel, almost break down a, a wall in a way. In the late 1950s, you know, songs such as Johnny Be Good, Sweet Little Sixteen, Caroline, all managed to crack the top 10 of the pop charts by achieving equal popularity with youth on both sides of the racial divide. Like I said, it broke a wall. And I, you know, he didn't care about color and this, you know, political. He didn't that. He just wanted people to listen to music and enjoy the music. Actually, you know, Barry's you know, music career was, was soaring, it was flying, but it was derailed again in 1961 when he was convicted under the Man Act illegally transporting a woman across state lines for immoral purposes. Well, you can you can kind of guess what was happening there. I'm not gonna go into it because I don't want to. I'm not feel comfortable with it in this class, so I'll keep going on from there. You know, okay. Three years later, three years earlier in 1958, Barry had opened a club, you know, in a bandstand in a prom- predominantly white business area of you know St. Louis. The next year, while traveling to Mexico, he met a 14-year-old waitress, which is a little young. And this waitress had had a side career, which I won't go into. It's a service business, if you can call it that. And he brought her back from St. Louis to work at his club. So he was transporting a minor who had a who had a, a record of doing things. So it looked bad, or it could have been actually a bad situation. We don't know. I wasn't there. I'm just telling you what I know and what I'm reading. However, he did fire only a week later when she was arrested for prostitution, charges were pressed against Barry, that ended up, you know, him spending another 20 months in jail. So, uh, the minor was engaged in prostitution. He brought her back, I think he was trying to bring her back to, you know, have a good life, but she continued to do it. And now he was at fault for it because he transported her, transported her across state lines, she's a minor, and it just doesn't look good for him, so he went to jail again, sadly. So, obviously, his career got derailed. He was released to prison in 1963. He picked up right where he left off, writing, recording popular and innovative songs. And the 1960s hits include Natalie, You Can Never Tell, Promised Land, Dear Dad, Nevertheless. Barry was never the same man after his second stint in prison, sadly. You know, Carl Perkins, his friend and partner on, you know, the 1964 British concert tour, observed, Never saw a man so changed. This is a good quoting from him. He'd never been easy. He has... He had been an easy-going guy before, the kind of guy who would, j- who would jam in his dressing room, stand, swap licks and jokes. So obviously, you know, play fight, joke around, mess around, this energetic, bouncy guy, you know? But in England, he was cold, real distant, he was kind of bitter. It wasn't just jail, it was all those years of white one-nighters grinding into him, kind of killing him in a way, you know? But most people figured it was jail that did it to him. 
um, very least one of his very last albums of original music, Rocket, to be familiar with positive reviews in 1979. So he's been playing for more than 20 years. He actually started, he kept performing into the 1990s, but he would never recapture that, you know, that magnetic, that electrified energy that he originally had cap- catapulted him to fame in the, you know, 50s and 60s. Well, Barry still remains one of the greatest and most influential musicians, you know, of all time in rock and roll. And in 1985, he received uh, um, many, many awards. You know, he became very well known and understood that he was the father of rock and roll. So, it was actually really interesting. On his 90th birthday, he re- he announced that he had plans to release a new album dedicated to his wife, who sadly passed at the age of 68. So, he dedicated to his um, to his wife. And, yeah, and so he said he basically, this would be his last thing, and when he was done, he'd hang up his shoes from rock and roll and just wait and, you know, pass peacefully, hopefully. He, he did. He actually died at the age 90 that year, um, March 18th, 2017. He's remembered as one of the, you know, founding fathers of rock and roll who pioneered a career that influenced generations and generations in music, which led him to being called the father because he had so many children, if you can call it like that. The interesting part, these two artists were actually good friends. So, they, they played together many times. They enjoyed each other. You know, this company. They were really good friends. So people, you know, so people. some people argue, you know, who who is the rifle of Chuck Berry? And obviously it was Lil Richie. They both were electric, had electric personalities in the performance. Berry was with his guitar, Richie on the piano, and the sonic innovation of sound and blend of the boogie-woogie and rhythmic blues in the 50s. It's an entirely new kind of music. They built rock and roll, and then they just sailed through it, if that makes sense. They enjoyed their creation. They were, you know, among the first ten inducted into the you know Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. They maintained that they had a rivalry, don't get me wrong. All great musicians will have a rivalry with each other. They may have respect, but it was a rivalry. It was a friendly, of course, friendly. They played together, and the funniest thing, they would kind of, you know, argue who exactly founded or made rock and roll, you know? And so, they, you know, they, they talked about it. They, they played on tours all the time through Europe, through America, and they just, they hang out like friends. Like, when, um, when little Richie found out about um, Chuck Berry's death, he actually spoke to... He chatted with the you know he chatted with the billboard about his friend over, you know Nashville while making a stop for a sandwich and driving. He told the report of the person, Rekha Mizofi. He told him that you know he's sad about him going. He didn't even know he was sick. He, he he lost a great friend and a great musician. Yes, Chuck may have been you know older than him, but he's still his best friend and they still play together. They went around Europe all the time. They had a lot of good moments together. They watch each other goof off and play and just jam out to music. They knew each other's family, you know. Um, little Richie knew his daughter. They seen his daughter hang out. They all have group events. They, they had this little joke where basically um, he, um, where basically Little Richie said, Chuck is the type of guy to give you a golden horseshoe. Like, hey, look at this. And, you know, Chuck takes it. Oh, it's really cool, basically. And then no, not Chuck. I mean, little, uh, little Richie goes, wow, it's kind of cool. 
Chuck goes, hey, how does it feel? And you're like, oh, how do you like it? And kind of giving that sense of that he's going to give it to you. And then all of a sudden, he's like, nope, okay, now get back and take it away from you. And so then um, uh, little Richie told him, like, hey, are you an Indian giver? So what the word Indian giver means, it doesn't have a racial slur. And there's nothing bad about it, I think, and then I've looked up into it. But it basically means you give something, you expect equal trade, or you expect to get it back. It's, it's an interesting term. It's a, probably an older term that we don't use anymore, obviously. I've never heard it before, so I had to look it up. But yeah. So yeah, they made these really weird jokes, like, you know, he, um, <laughs> Chuck would say to um, Little Richie, hey, you got some fruity skin, Little Richie. Uh. And then Little Richie would be like, ah, shut up, Chuck, next joke, come on, pass it along. So they had this really good, like, sense of camaraderie and joy when they came together. They were really good buddies and friends. So it was really sad when Little Richie heard about Chuck's death. They had beautiful times together, you know? They played piano while he played guitar. They were both love rock and blues and jazz and even gospel because they both grew up in churches. Yeah, so they could play any types. They could roll off riffs. They could make something on the uh, on the tip of their shoes and have it shoot up their boots with that energy so people feel electrified as they play. You know? And the, the funniest thing, um, Chuck told Richie, hey, you know, you should get paid before you go on stage, not after. You get the money up front just in case if you suck. You don't have to worry about not being paid. <laughs> but yeah. So they had this really, really funny relationship. They even like get these like little, you know, bantering competitions. Like I'm the show, I'm the star of the show. And they play together. Whoever started, whoever whoever started the show would have would have the other finish it. Then at, whoever finished, obviously, would make the joke like, "Oh, I'm the star of the show." And they would argue about it over and over and over. They they kind of argue about who was the you know the creator of rock and roll. They both knew there's other artists who helped define the genre, but there was a little inside joke they had. Um, little Richie would always, Little Richie would say he is, but he kind of knew the fact that, you know, Chuck was older than him. He kind of gave him the credit for it because he, you know, came before him. So, you know, a lot of people say Chuck Berry, his rock and roll was the standard of rock and roll. It became like the classic of it. While well, another classic, the standard, the rule you hold it by. But Little Richie's actually was a classic where it may not be held to a rule. It's just amazing of what it was and what it does. You know. So, what these two artists did was help break down racial boundaries. They helped expand music out for everyone to hear and then enjoy. This allowed white, black, any race or ethnicity or anyone to enjoy what they're creating and actually be able to kind of relate to each other. Like, hey, you know, I like, you know, I like Little Richie. While another guy of a different race can say a thing and they like say the same thing and they're like, wait a minute. We both like the same music. What's your favorite song? And then you kind of relate and kind of break down the boundary. And it also helped, you know. So we have to mention, you know, Elvis. You know, Elvis is another founder. Elvis helped break that, you know, the, just the racial um, issue of people basically. Of the music being for you are, yes, you can enjoy it. But Elvis brought in such a big platform that he helped bring more in, more white people in. So it's obviously helped. Little Richie and Chuck and other all other artists get more, you know, fans because Elvis song Elvis sings amazing songs and then they probably fall down the rabbit hole who sings rock and roll and then stumble upon them and realize wait these guys are great they may they may have not been racist the uh, people who listen but they might have realized that wait a minute good music doesn't come from a race or ethnicity good music is just good music it's the talent behind it or the passion behind it that makes it good not what color your skin is. 
So yeah, so basically at the end of the day that these two artists help push and create rock and roll a beautiful platform for people to actually realize the similarities and enjoy music and the passion behind it. European style of music is very cons- conservative, soft, lighthearted, but rock and roll is very emotional. Not raw per se. I almost you would call it tangy, which is a ridiculous word, I know. But it had that had that flavor, it had a feeling, it gave you emotion, it gave you something. Well, European music was a little more conservative, a little more kind of hello, very light. While this one was raw and kind of how you feel and how the world and how youth felt. That's a lot of this music was aimed for towards youth or true expression. So the clean statement is rock and roll self one of the greatest gifts we have and the best way to you know bring people together